Hello, this is Peter Jonathan Robertson with the 59th episode of the PJ Archive. It's an interview I did with the British model, actress and singer Twiggy. This took place at her central London home in 2003 when she was promoting her album called Midnight Blue. As Twiggy is not only one of the first international supermodels, but a cultural icon, it was interesting to hear about her extraordinary life, partly through her favourite music and artists. My teenage life was split into two completely different worlds. Up until the age of 16, I lived a very ordinary teenage life, like most kids. I lived at home in Neasden, uh, northwest Thames. We lived in a kind of semi-detached, 1930s house. What was your room like? My sister had moved out by then. She was married. So I had the bigger bedroom. I think it was three bedrooms upstairs. So I had the bigger bedroom. I always had the little one as a little girl. And I, my dad let me paint it. And I <laughs> shuddered to think what I did. I painted it dark mauve. Oh, lovely. And I made... Because I, I, I love to sew. That's one of my hobbies. And I, I was sewing even back then. And I made these hideous mauve and dark mauve and pale mauve striped curtains. I was very into very modern things, but that was because I was like 13 or 14. Posters of anybody on the wall? Probably pictures of the Beatles, I would, if, if my memory... It's a long time ago. And then when, age 16, I was catapulted into this madness world of fashion and extraordinary people and a whole other social echelon. People like to associate you with the 60s. Do you have I a lot know, of your music tell me. collection, <laughs> music collection that? So no, I don't think it does. No. I always feel, although I'm thought of as a child of the 60s, I always feel my kind of passion in fashion, in music, in kind of... Yeah, it's the 20s and 30s. Although, actually, if I'd have been born then, I'd have probably ended up being a maid. So I wouldn't have liked that. But it, to have been the posh end of the scale must have been rather marvellous in the 20s, mustn't it? To be in New York or London society. And, and one imagines a place like this, they would have had musical salons and musical evenings, and which is the kind of way that we decorated it. I love it to feel and look, which I, I think it does, that it's kind of grown over a period of time, that it's not everything's not new-looking. I love velvets, I love satin. These are old beagle lamp shades that I've kept since. My great passion in popular music is country. And I've been a fan of country music since, gosh, since I probably first went to America, where it's huge, of course. It never really... It's, it's a kind of small following in England. It never really caught on hugely here. When I first went to the States in 1967... You know, it was an industry of its own even then. And then I visited Nashville, fell madly in love with it. And um, I just love country music. They've, they've usually got great voices. I, lo- I love lyrics, you see. I, I'm of probably of, you know, because of my age group, I'm not into very heavy kind of drum beats. And I like to hear lyrics and I like to hear voices. And you tend to get that with country. I mean, most country singers have got great voices. I love story songs. I love lyrics. And that's what you get in a country song. I mean, sometimes they're hysterically funny, aren't they? Or incredibly sad. But they write real emotion really well. Have you met any of the great country stars? 
I met Dolly Parton. All right, yes, terrific. Who I love. She's a great character. Oh, I love her. I think she's got a great voice. It's one of the great voices. And, and listen, you know, she wrote one of the great mm. pop songs ever. I think her version is better than Whitney Houston's. Myself. Yeah, I like it too. Because yeah. it just breaks your heart. I will. I mean, it, when when she sings that, and the other one I love is um, she's an eagle when she flies. She's a sparrow when she's broken. Oh, yeah. but, okay. And Jolene. Yeah. It's a great song. Yeah. I must have met her in the early 70s. She was playing in quite a small place, so which is extraordinary, really. I, I was living in LA. And um, she was playing in a place called Oxnard, California, which was about an hour's drive north. Mm. And uh, it was certainly worth the drive. Mm. She's wonderful in concert, wonderful. Mm. And she plays brilliant guitar. Mm. God knows how with those nails, which she does. And she's ever so funny. I mean, she sends herself up all the time, her boobs and her hair. And she's really, really funny. And then, you know, she's got this angelic voice. Mm. Angelic. And a lot of her songs, are about her childhood and so she tells you stories you know it's lovely it's a really lovely evening the other lady I love is Nancy Griffith yeah I've seen her live as well does your husband have a similar taste to you? um mostly yeah we're lucky actually there's very little I think I introduced him to country music right. and on the other hand he, he's introduced me to people like Ravi Shankar yeah. and his daughter yeah well isn't she gorgeous and what's so wonderful is that she got all those Grammys. I mean, not that getting prizes is the ultimate aim, but it's wonderful that an album like that, that is so kind of gentle and laid back and you would think would be an underground piece, came out and beat all those kind of rock and rollers, man. <laughs> so I was quite thrilled by that. I thought it was really... And she's so beautiful. So I love it when you get somebody really beautiful who's mm. incredibly talented because there's that old thing, in, especially in this country, is that if you're pretty, you can't do anything mm. else, and that's mm. crap. I mean, you don't have to be pretty, but it, there is that thing, isn't there? Stigma. Yeah. I think there's a great stigma about beautiful yeah. women that they must be thick and. Well, that's absolute rubbish because she's magnificent she looking yeah. and she can yeah. write and she can mm. play and she can sing. And... So he kind of turned me on to things like that I turned him on to kind of country and he got me into much more classical music I I, I kind of knew some I knew the kind of tunes that I'd heard and and he's a great opera lover and I, I wasn't really into that and now so you know I think one introduces different um, music to your loved ones my husband likes <laughs> he's got a CD of Gregorian charms and he puts those on I can't go to sleep to them they give me the willies I like yeah. to hear them in cer certain times of the day, mm. but late at night in the dark, there's something a bit spooky about them. Mm. And he thinks they're brilliant to go to mm. sleep to, and they're I think they're really spooky. It's one thing we disagree on. Yeah. But um, it just always makes me laugh. Luckily, neither of us like heavy metal or anything that is head-banging, and I can't, I, don't, I have to say, I can't bear rap or anything like that. But that's probably my age. You know, does I'm an your, old fuddy-duddy, you got to... <laughs> does your husband like your music for your albums? Yeah. Yeah, of course he does. <laughs> he has to. <laughs> no, he doesn't have to. No, actually, he's very... Um, when we were doing uh, stuff that ended up on mm. Midnight Blue, which I've done over the last... You know, it's an amount, uh, a compilation album. But I remember the, the 60s stuff that I did and the first mix, you know, I brought them home and... 
he he said, you know, your voice should be more up front, the, the drums too prominent. And so we went in and did a remix, and he was right, it's better. You know, we're, we're very open with each other. You can't lie to each other. You can't live together and, and not be truthful. We're kind. I was surprised your film career didn't absolutely take off. Same with, same with your husband. I, I love Tess. I know, Tess. He, was I know. he was wonderful. Yeah. No, it's, you know, it's luck of the draw, really. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's even bad decisions on... Oh, I don't think it was certainly... Certainly his film career should have after mm. Tess. I think the British film industry was in a very bad state at that time. And he also... His, his first love is the stage. And... Um, he could have gone... He had lots of offers to go and stay in L.A. and develop stuff. Uh, but he had a young child. This is before I knew him, you know. And um, he chose to come back, and, and he'd already got something at the National that he was going into, the second Mrs. Tankery. So he chose that route, you know. And so, you know, once you've got off that film loop... And with me, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think I suffer a bit from... It's easier, in a way, for me in America... But I suffer very much in this country from... I'm so well-known as Twiggy, 60s, model, whatever, that um, it's very it's very hard to kind of... But listen, on the other hand, I've been very lucky. I'm still here. I'm still working. <laughs> How many albums have you done now? Five, I think. Or six. My two kind of pop albums that I did in the 70s, the one from My One and Only on Broadway, uh, one from If Love Were All that we did off-Broadway two years ago, and... This one. Mm. I'd like to do more, but you know, it's again in this country, it's very, very difficult unless you are a multi-million-selling artist like a Paul McCartney mm. or a Rolling Stones or a, I'm talking about my kind of age group. You know, a huge, uh, constant seller of albums. It's very difficult to get a major record company inter- interested in doing any sort of, you know, because my other great passion in in life is is. Cole Porter, Gershwin, all those sort of songs. And I would love to go in and do... But, you know, you try and get a record company to do that, you know. They're not interested. Although it's lovely that people like Diana Crawl and people like that are doing that, yeah. thank God. But it's really, really tough to get a record company. I mean, I think because she's done cabaret and, the, and she's grown that way, that it has opened the door. And, and But it proves that it sells. That's what's nice. But it's still hard to get a major record company... You know what it's like. They're in. All they want is, you know, young bands, which is understandable. It's a young market, but it is tricky. You know, in, in all the things I would love to do, doesn't mean you're going to do them because you know you've got to get a, a record company interested, and that's very tricky. Again, it's slightly easier in the states because there are so many types of music. There are so many radio stations. You know, you get a jazz station, you get a classical station, you get country stations, you get stations that play broad I mean the two kind of albums I've done that have Broadway type of music on were three really with London Pride there are stations that just play that sort of music and it's actually sold, they've sold very well over there whereas here it's a very niche market isn't it but you know I ain't going to change that I can remember about oh god about 10 12 years ago I, I did a thing on telly with Roger Daughtry called The Little Match Girl yeah. and Roger played The Little Match Girl's father and this drunken old lad and he's lovely Roger I love him and we got on really really well 
And you know, here is a man who, I mean, how many millions of albums of The Who sold? And he was bemoaning the fact, because at the time he had a single out as Roger Daltrey, and he couldn't get on the playlist. And I just thought, my God, if he can't get on mm. the playlist, here, you know. And that's what you're up against in this country. And I think if you talk to lots of, you know, people, it, it, it's tough to get, you know, who aren't, you know, a boy band or a young girl group or, you know, whatever. It's really tough. It's, you know, my my stepson, Crispian Mills, who used to be Cooler Shade Cut, and now it's a band called The Jeevers, and they're really, really good. And, you know, and it's tough for them because once Cooler Shade folded for whatever reason and... They've started the Jeevers. You know, they're still an, he's still an amazing songwriter and a you know good performer. But if you don't get on that playlist mm. thing, it's very. I mean, he'll he'll do it. I'm not. Mm. You know, he gigs all the time and he's really in in Japan. The the last album was number one. I think the general public think, oh, you just make a record and mm. get it played. It's not. You know, it's about you know getting on that playlist is really hard. You're his step. I'm his step step mum really. Oh, he. Is my husband's stepson? Yeah. yeah, he was yeah. three, I think, when right. Lee met Haley. Right. And so Lee became his dad, and he calls him dad. And you've always got on very well. With him. Oh yeah, when I met Lee Crispian, well, hold on, Ace Lee's real son was eight. Carly was six. That's my daughter. Mm. So Crispian would have been about nine, nine and a half. Right. And I can remember he was always obsessed with um, guitars. I think it was his 11th or 12th birthday. Lee bought him a pink... What was the... Oh, God, I'm not, I'm not really into guitars. But it was quite a famous guitar make. Right. How often do you see him? Oh, oh lots. And do you see him in concert much? Or? Uh, I haven't the last... Because they've been touring around, you know, God knows where. I mean, and last time I, they played London, I was on tour with Mrs Warren. Mm. So I haven't actually seen him perform recently. But he's great. If he yeah. is a brilliant guitar player yeah. I mean brilliant and I just think he's a wonderful songwriter because he's not one of these put together bands yeah. he's a real he's a yeah. real muso obsessed absolutely yeah. obsessed do you know Bell and Sebastian I know of an old cartoon series in the 70s yeah well that's Disney where they took their name from my daughter who's 24 who's an animator yeah. and she's She's brilliant because she knows the sort of music I like but I often miss out on the new people because you know I don't Play the ra- I, I play Radio 4 most of the time, so I don't play all the radio stations. So she'll do me tapes and buy me CDs of people she thinks I li- are like, like Damien Rice and people like that, and um, Daniel Beddingfield. Yeah. Yeah. So she'll kind of turn me on to people. She'll say, oh, you'll like this person, Mum, you'll like this yeah. person. And she, and also she plays guitar. She plays acoustic guitar. Right. And she was over one day sitting in here. Uh, she'd come down, she went to um, college in Edinburgh. And she was down, and she was sitting in here playing guitar, singing this song. And I said, "What's that song? It's wonderful." I thought she'd written it, and I said, "Did you write that?" She said, "No, no." So it's this band called Bell and Sebastian. I said, "Oh my God!" And it's a song called "Judy and the Dream of Horses." What's the album called? If you're feeling sinister, but there's a song called "Judy and the Dream of Horses." Right. That is so wonderful. They're very kind of underproduced. They're very naive. It's just like some kids sitting in a room with guitar and. They go off key a bit, and, but it's so magical. I love it. It's one of my favourite albums, mm-hmm. and that song is just such a great song. This is probably my most mainstream pop one that I love. I think they are brilliant. The Cause. Oh yes, forgiven but not forgotten. Yeah, oh, I love that one. 
I just love them as a band. I just right. think it's. I think they are so beautiful as well. Have you met them? No, but I'm a huge, huge fan. Right. I love her voice. It's one of the most beautiful kind of Irish. Well, I love. That's the other thing. Mm. I'm, I'm because of the Furies and that. Mm. But I love traditional Irish music. You're not a bit Irish yourself. Are no. You? no, no. My dad was from uh, Lancashire. Yeah. My mum's Cockney, born and bred. I just love them. Yeah. I just, I just. Have you seen I them just, live at all? No, not great about going to live concerts. I don't like the crowd. I do go. I mean, we went. We were very lucky to go. And it was a sad occasion, but an amazing concert, which was the George Harrison oh. Memorial at the Albert Hall, because I've known George since yeah. I was 17. But the one who became my really close friend is Paul, who's yeah. one of my best yeah. friends and always has been. Mm. George was always much more reserved and shy. Mm. I met him originally because his first wife was Patty mm. Boyd, yeah. who was yeah. a model, and I knew her. and So I kind of knew George through Patty. Mm. But I, he, he was just one of the nicest, mm. most straightforward man you could meet mm. and didn't like all the razzmatazz no. he was just really a nice guy mm. and I think an incredibly talented one mm. incredibly talented did he write a song about you? no he wrote two about well she had two famous songs written about well him. he was in love with her yeah, I was just a mate <laughs> mates don't get songs written about them <laughs> it's like oh can't do a list without the love of my life Joni Mitchell I mean it could be any Joni Mitchell album really but I just happened to dig out Ladies of the Canyon. I just think she's extraordinary. Again, I love her because, well, she's a poet, isn't she? Did you ever meet her? Yes. I met her probably 15 years ago in Los Angeles. One of our dearest friends, uh, Peter Asher, uh, who's Jane Asher's brother, uh, managed her for a long time. So we met at his, their house in LA. What's it like meeting somebody? I was really nervous. Were you? Really nervous. Because I love, you don't understand. I, lo- I, I mean, I, there was a time when I knew every Joni Mitchell mm. lyric of every song she'd ever written. I was Nutella. obsessed. No. I was, just, I, mean, I was so excited. She was really nice. But what amazed me, she, cha- she chain smoked. How could she have that for? Well, it's changed, though. It's deep. Yeah. She still smokes quite a lot, apparently. But I was just agog. And as you can see, I, I don't have trouble talking, and I think I was a, a bit kind of dumb, Joni Mitchell. But um, she was lovely, and I have seen her live, and mm. it's just... Are you mouthing all the words as she's... <laughs> and under me scarf. Singing along, not the person you like to sit next to. No, the thing with Joni Mitchell, you sit in your car and have all your windows shut and sing at the top of your voice, and it, you sound like Joni Mitchell, it's brilliant. And when I did my... My one and only concert tour in the late 70s, say, I played the Albert Hall, which was very scary. And I filled it, I have to say. <laughs> and in, in the, the, the concert, I did um, For Free, the Joni Mitchell song, which is a really tricky song. You know, the one about the cl- clarinet player? Great, great song. So Nat King Cole, one of the best voices ever yeah, given to it. It's like yeah. chocolate, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. velvet. Yeah. It's, yeah. You know, you put mm-hmm. Nat King Cole on and it's the most romantic mm-hmm. music you can listen mm-hmm. to. And both Lee and I absolutely adore it. <laughs> and it just always makes me laugh because when Carly was, she must have been about eight or nine, we were in Spain at Lee's house. And we'd had it on, had a Nat King Cole 
and we were playing it a lot. And there's a song on one of his albums called Mona Lisa. Mona Lisa, yeah, Mona Lisa. Yeah. And she came in and said, put Moaning Lisa on, put Moaning Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> so we always have a little chuckle when we put that. And Carly still loves him. See, it's it actually... A note here to all parents, play your children wonderful music. Yeah, yeah. They will grow up loving it. Yes, you don't have to have moronic teenagers yeah. who only play head-banging music. If you play wonderful music when they're tiny on upwards, and Carly's still, or both our kids, play Nat King Cole, Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald, Count Basie, all the time. They absolutely, I mean, along with their pop stuff. Oh, well, I had to do somebody from that era because that's my other passion, really. Jazz? No, well, I don't really call it jazz. No, I don't, I'm not really a jazz fan. It's just all those songs from the 30s, 40s. You know, I'm a huge Cole Porter, Irving Berlin, yeah. Gershwin, Rodgers and Hart. You know, all that. Because, you see, I think one of the great singers, they always say, you know, they always, obviously, he was known as the greatest tap dancer ever, which he was, which Fred Astaire. Mm. I also think he was one of the great interpreters of Gershwin Berlin. Mm. I love the way he sings. Mm. You know, they always said, oh, he wasn't a singer, but mm. he was a great dancer. I actually disagree. I think mm. he had a fabulous Fred Astaire. Voice for that I sort agree, of yeah. period. Yeah, she does a lot of Fred Astaire. And I love yeah. all those. Isn't songs. it a lovely day? Yeah, all those. Fred Astaire is my hero, and I did get to meet him. Did I was there. Yeah. Oh, I've got a great Fred Astaire story. When I did The Boyfriend, in 1970. It came out in 71, and they took me over to Los Angeles to promote it. And they took me to MGM, who did the film. And I, I mean, I was, and still am, passionate about Fred Astaire. He's always been my hero, you know. Nobody can move or dance. Or, and I actually, as I said before, I think he has a great voice and just so stylish. And, um, and having just done The Boyfriend, I'd got really into his... <laughs> watching all the Fred and Ginger ones, and, you know, he's da you know nobody can dance or have e has ever danced like that. So I was taken to the studios at MGM, and, you know, they said, oh, well, you know, who, what celebrity would you like to meet while you're in Los Angeles? I was 21, and they probably thought I was going to... I can't remember who the hunk of the day was, yeah. but, you know, whoever the young, hot thing was then, I can't remember. And... Um, I said, oh, my God, I'd love to meet Fred Astaire, who was at that point about 70 and retired and a recluse. And it, they kind of went quiet and they said, oh, um, you know, Mr Astaire, you know, is very... Um, he doesn't go out, he doesn't really see people. Is there anyone else? And I said, well, not really, you know, that's who I... You know, he's my hero. I was a bit disappointed, but didn't really think about it. Went back to our hotel, and there happened to be a lady in that office that day, an older lady, who'd been the secretary on all the films that Fred and Ginger had done in the 30s. And she'd overheard the conversation and rung Fred at home and told him the story. And I got an invitation to go to his house for tea. So about two days later, I went up to this beautiful kind of hacienda up in the hills. Again, I was so nervous. And I remember the housekeeper it, taking us into the sitting room. We sat there and he came in from across the room and the door opened and it was like, you know, I actually was in a room and Fred Astaire was walking across... I mean, nobody walks across a room like Fred Astaire. I mean, not was he, not only was he a great dancer, but he walked across the room. It was just like, you know... It was, and he was the sweetest, most modest man you could ever meet and really gorgeous. And then he invited us to dinner about two nights later and we turned up at the house and sitting out in the garden having drinks before we went down to dinner was... Um, 
Hermes Pan, who was his choreographer. And they they talked to like they he, they looked very similar, and he walked like Frey. I mean, it was hysterical, and he was a, you know he was another legend because he choreographed all those films. And we went down to. It was so funny because Fred had had a chauffeur for years and years and years and the chauffeur had died about a month before. So Fred hadn't driven for about 30 years, so he was driving again. And we got in his Rolls Royce. Luckily it was only down the hill and it was like... (laughs) Go all the way down the hill because he hadn't driven a car for 30 years. It was so funny. And we went to this... It was like um, a trader... Vic's restaurant, it was Polynesian food, which was all the new trendy thing then in Los Angeles, it was like the new well it wasn't, it wasn't a trade of Vic's but it was like that, and we went in and they, they said what would you like to drink and I'd seen somebody walk by with like this pine um, coconut with umbrellas and you know I was 21 I want one of those, you know, I didn't really drink, I didn't like wine and, and, I, and they said oh it's like a fruit punch with alcohol and I said oh we'll have one and Fred didn't really drink and he said oh I'll have one so we all had them got a bit tiddly on these because they're quite strong and, um, and we had our meal and we left and came out on Rodeo Drive and walking back to the car and I thought my heart was going to stop he actually danced up the street he tap danced because he, you know, he'd had his my day and he was feeling jolly he wasn't drunk but he was just happy he danced down the street and he ended in a double pirouette on his knees and went Hollywood I love you like this and we were laughing afterwards because we were saying can you imagine people going by in a car saying you know I think I just saw the stair tapped up nah. I mean it's amazing to meet your hero and to have an experience like that and we kept in touch over the years and you know sadly he died but but he was so nice and he wrote me a love lovely letter when he saw the boyfriend and um, which i've still got obviously as twiggy is a legendary model i couldn't resist asking her a little extra question who would you say is the most beautiful woman ever ever oh god that's hard um well i'd go back in time you see um ingrid bergman Greta Garbo. Um, more recently, Nastasia Kinski. Yeah. I do think she's one of the great beauties ever. Yeah. I love those sort of fa- I, I don't really go for the kind of chocolate boxy, all American girl look. I like, it's usually more European y, all those. She's got that kind of Slavic look, hasn't she? And, and um, Isabella Rossellini, I think, has been one of the great beauties. But then she looked like her mum anyway, so. They're, they're more unusual looking. And they're very interesting women. They're not just kind of, oh, she's pretty. What about blokes? What, just looks? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, I'm married to one. I think he's one of the great-looking guys of all time. He's also really nice. Um, But just looks. I always thought Robert Redford was gorgeous. Uh, Johnny Depp, great face. And good actor, actually. Really good actor. And makes very interesting choices, I think. He could have gone the very mainstream... Um, Hollywood way and he, he hasn't has he um, Brad Pitt I suppose is very handsome you know they're, they're the kind of obvious ones I suppose 